VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, thank you very much. That solves my dilemma of wondering what to do while it was completely silent while we walked onto stage. So thank you. It's lovely to be back in Newcastle for this Times Plus Game podcast event, an event we put on just for subscribers to The Times and The Sunday Times. So thank you for being here. Thank you for subscribing. Um, I'm Alison. I'm a Times sports writer and podcaster. And with me this evening, I have Oliver Kay on my far left. He is the chief football correspondent for the Times. Next to him, George Colkin, who's our northern sports correspondent. And I'm delighted that to my immediate left, I have a man. I don't need to explain who he is, but he has managed Real Madrid. He brought silverware to Chelsea at great pace. He was the architect of the miracle of Istanbul. And Rafa Benitez is now. <laughs> Thank you. That is, that is more difficult than to be on the bench in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and he is now the Newcastle United manager. Let me explain the evening. Um, it's very simple. Anyone here to see three billboards outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri, you're in the wrong cinema. <laughs> Otherwise, stay put. We're going to talk football. And then after a chat about Newcastle, football, everything we all love, we will open it up to you so you can ask questions. Issue uh, question, please. <laughs> nice questions. Um, but we will start with Newcastle, and this isn't about me at all, so I'm getting in early with the fact that yesterday I interviewed uh, Alexander Mitrovic, who's a Newcastle player. He's gone on loan to Fulham. I went along to the training ground to chat to him, and I asked him, were you surprised that Rafa Benitez stayed with Newcastle when they went into the championship? And he said, no, like me, Rafa believes Newcastle is one of the biggest clubs in the, in, in the country and they deserve to be managed by a great man who will take them to great things. So I thought, rather than let Mitrovic speak for Rafa, I would ask Rafa, why did you stay? No, I think he's, he's right. So I said before, and uh, you can see this every single game, every day in the city, it's a massive club, 
and he has the potential uh, to be, I will say, in the top 10. I don't want to say higher or whatever, but um, I think uh, the club has the potential to be in the top 10 because you have a city behind the team. You have uh, a lot of fans every single game at home and away supporting the team. We have to do the right things to be sure that we stay in the Premier League and uh, this team can compete against the top six are a little far away, but still you can compete against them if you do the right things. And for sure, for me, in the top ten, easily, if we do the right things. But did you... I mean, we, we have portrayed you in the media as having fallen in love with not just the club's potential, but the people and the passion they have. Is that true? Yeah, when I was... Um, normally when I go to another team, I try to to know a little bit about the city, the fans, uh, even the, the, the financial situation, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> the point here was, um, when I went to uh, Napoli, Napoli is a fantastic city, and then you have a lot of things that you can watch, and they were a kingdom of uh, Spain, so they have the, the royal palace, is very similar, the Teatro San Carlos, and here I did the same. I went to the castle, I went to the, the Angel of the North, and I, I was walking around, I had a problem here, that was the championship, you have so many games, <laughs> you don't have time, so you have to go, another game, another game, another game. So, uh, but uh, I like to see the, the city, I like to feel the passion of the fans, I like to, to see how the staff, how they are working in the club. And then a lot of things that I saw, for me, was at the beginning when we came, that was um, quite complicated, we, we didn't have too much time. We arrived on Thursday, I think we did the deal and we we had to train on Friday and then go to play against Leicester that they were doing really well. So we didn't have too much time, but you could see the potential. You could feel the passion of the fans, the commitment. And uh, what's for me to stay in the championship was uh, quite difficult because um, we didn't know, and I will say again, how difficult was the championship. But we thought that we had a good team and we have some good players with experience in the championship and they did really well. They did really well. And after, when we won the championship, we said, oof, was a massive risk, but I think that you have the potential to, to do well in the Premier League. And that was the reason why. So the city, the fans, and the potential of the club, everything that was so positive that they, we decided to stay, and still we are happy with that. And hopefully we can stay in the, in the Premier League, and that will be, for me, the beginning of something more important, because we can compete against people if we do what we have to do. I think there are times when we still have to pinch ourselves a little bit that Rafa did did agree to stay and it's I'm going to be a bit embarrassing here and I apologize but I think it's pr I think it's probably going to be okay um, with this audience but Rafa is the best and most important thing that's happened to this club for many many years so. <laughs> I <don't agree. laughs> and very quickly there are two reasons for that there's his achievements as a manager there's his CV there's what he's done in the game and of course there's then what he's done at Newcastle Getting the team up from the championship is a, a huge achievement. I think people look at it from afar and think Newcastle are a big club because of the number of supporters they've got, um, and so it should be easy. But it's not. It's, a, it's an incredibly difficult division to get out of, very competitive, and it's also a graveyard for big, big clubs. And Newcastle aren't one of those clubs, and we have Rafa to thank for that. The other thing is a more emotive thing, Hearing Rafa sit here talking about potential and size and stature and history of Newcastle is something vitally important because it's something that 
just hasn't been on the radar for Newcastle fans in the preceding years. And I don't need to kind of go into that at all, but what Rafa represents is a connection between supporters and the club. And I think in the past that had been in danger of being frayed. And um, he persuades people to be ambitious about their football club, to have aspirations about their football club. And he represents both love and hope. And although those are very difficult things to evaluate in a tangible way, they're incredibly important. So thank you, Rafa. Thank you. But I would say, for me, it's a, it's a big problem. Every single day when we lose a game, when we made mistakes or whatever, and really suffering for the fans. And now it's a situation that you say, well, we have to do everything right if we want to win. Then even when you make a substitution, say, why you change Kennedy and then you have to keep him? <laughs> so I am suffering, but not because I don't think that I was wrong. Just because I know that every single decision will have an impact in a lot of people. They, they believe in me. They, they trust me. You could win a lot of games with uh, just doing sometimes nothing. But in this case, every single decision for me is so much responsibility in terms of to do well because I have a lot of fans behind. I would not be worried about, oh, if I made a mistake, that's it. No, it's just because you know that you have a lot of people following the team and uh, I want to be right. Oli, what does the club mean to you? My, my first experience of Newcastle United as a club was as a seven-year-old boy being taken to Shrewsbury because Kevin Keegan was going to play there um, that day. It was September 1982. I just had to look it up. Mick Shannon was in the team. Um, Kevin Keegan was in the team, and, and it was this, you know, my dad was saying, that, you know, this, is, this, is, this is great that, that, that Newcastle are coming to town, and having looked it up, Newcastle lost that day, 2-1, Imre Varadi scored, I'm sure you all remember it very well, but what, what, one thing that really stays with me is that the, uh, you know, the Newcastle fans were at one end of the ground, all had their, all had their shirts off, and it was um, you know, a, a scene that would probably be replayed many, many times that I would see... Um, over the uh, following decades, but no. I was going to come tonight without the, my top on. Just the, to, there just was, I, I mean, it wasn't even a particularly cold day. The fact is, it would probably have been the same in January, but um, it was, I, I don't know, there was a, that always stuck with me as a very young lad and um, that there was something a bit different about Newcastle's fans. And Alex, who's our sports editor, who's here tonight, two years ago, just before Rafa was um, appointed, he sent me up to Newcastle for the day to take the pulse of the, um, the city. George was off time. No, it wasn't. Um, no, no, <laughs> at, at, at any time you see George is off on holiday, you know there's going to be a, a huge crisis at Newcastle or at Sunderland. Um, he takes a lot of holidays. Um, but he... Um, um, Sorry. I, so so I, I came to Newcastle and Rafa's name had just begun to appear um, in the press in the, um, the build-up to that after Steve McLaren had been sacked and I was asking people about, you know, what, what should Newcastle do? I mean, it looked like they were going to get relegated, and fans, and I, I went into one of the pubs near the station, and, 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 and the fans were saying, no way will Rafa Benitez come. He's only just come out of Real Madrid. Look at the state of us. And the fact that he came, I mean, no doubt shocked a lot of you, but it's, it shocked me as somebody who had, you know, worked quite closely with him when he was at Liverpool, and um, I thought it was, a, it was a really brave move and it was even braver to stay after the relegation because it looked like he was on a hiding to nothing. And that feat in getting promoted is, as George said, is a far bigger achievement than yeah. a lot of people realise. I mean, look at the three clubs that went down from the Premier League last season. They're all struggling. 
Um, Aston Villa had a terrible season last year and a, and a sort of slowly rebuilding. But what Rafa has done in terms of, I'm going to say, steadying that ship, maybe it doesn't feel as steady yet as um, it could do, but I think it would feel a lot less steady without Rafa. So, um, and can you talk a little bit about that day against Tottenham Hotspur? So it was the... Newcastle won 5-1 that day and I know you've talked about this a lot but it was such an incredible day because Newcastle were down and it could have been a day about anger people could have been very angry and upset and vented their opinions like that but instead it was 90 minutes of love love towards you how did I mean have you ever experienced anything like that before and how did it make you feel how does it make you feel to look back on that now I was quite lucky because Liverpool or even Napoli or a lot of uh, teams in Extremadura when I was in Tenerife. So the fans normally, if you win, they love you. So, but in this case, we were relegated already. And the fans, uh, they show the, the passion, the, the commitment and the support uh, for me, for, for the club. That was the time that you were thinking carefully, listen, I think that maybe we can stay, maybe not. So it was a difficult decision at the beginning. But then the atmosphere and after the conversation that I had with the... Uh, Mike Ashley was, I think he's right, I was talking with my family to stay in England in a massive uh, club to be sure that they, we could go up and then build something. So always in football, you talk about projects. So we have to, to develop a project. Uh, you need five years. You know? So I was thinking that maybe here you could do something really, really big for the future and then compete against the, the teams and win trophies. So it's something that I like to do. I, I don't lie when I say will compete in the FA Cup, in the Carabao Cup now, <laughs> uh, with the players that we have, with the squad that you have. So I want to win, but uh, I cannot lie to the fans, oh, I will play my strongest team because you have your big two or three injuries and then you have problems for the, for the league. So I like to compete, I like to win, and here you have the potential. Then I would say again, it's always the same uh, thing. So we have to do things right. Yeah. But when I have to write the program notes, he said, no, the fans, um, you understand, we have to st uh, stick together and be united because it's the only way. So it's the only way if you want to survive is to stick together. And I think that the fans, they realize that after what they have, there's some journalists telling them things and then they change the... <laughs> no, after what they have is the passion as a, as a football fans. They say, why you play this? Why you don't play the other one? So that is normal. But the, the, the passion that you have here, the unity, the city behind the team, that is the key if we want to be stronger in the future. And it, I mean, is the, is the relationship, is it similar to what you had at Liverpool? Because we, I mean, we talk about Liverpool a lot. Your family still live there. We know that. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're kind of heavily based in that area. But it feels something very similar to that in emotion. Very case. similar in one way. When I was uh, walking through the streets in Liverpool and they talked to me in a scouse accent, I don't understand. No, it's very similar and, uh, to be serious now. Very similar because it's the city, the fans, the passion, uh, people behind the team. So it's very, very similar. And then that is something that you like to enjoy. When I was in, in Italy or in Spain, it's totally different. So you can be winning 5 nil, and still you can see in some stadiums the fans say, OK, fine, good enough. And then you go to Italy and then you are winning one nil, and still they are pushing you. And if you lose, you have to stay at home. <laughs> stay for one week and see what happens. So, <laughs> And he said, no, honestly, it's like this. Eh? So it's not, I am not exaggerating. Then here, the passion and the, the support and everything is very similar to Liverpool. And uh, it's something that you as a manager, you enjoy. I was telling them off the record before 
<laughs> the, when the fans are singing in any stadium, I have no focus on that. I can hear my name here. That is the only thing that I can understand. But the other thing is just <laughs> I am focused on the game. Then you try, uh, you try to be polite, to concentrate on the game, and I appreciate that. So for me, it's, it's really good and really pleased for that. But it's very similar because that, because the fans, they support the team, they support the manager, and we are lucky enough this year to have a group of players that they give everything. So we can do well, I can be right or wrong, but we give everything, and I think the fans, you appreciate that. One added factor this season is, and I'd like to explore what all three of you think about it and why it's happening, is that there are 11 clubs that could go down. It's an 11-way relegation battle. I don't remember anything like this. It's so tight. Does anyone want to start off with a suggestion as to why, right now, it is ridiculous in the bottom half of the table? That's right. I think, I think if, you look, if you look at the Premier League, um, look at the financial situation in the Premier League, it's, it's basically a sort of a league of six and a league of 14 within that 20. And I think probably Newcastle fans would hope that it would be a league of seven and a league of 13. But it's, you know, that, that's the way it's been the last, I'd say, six or seven years with the utterly bizarre, freakish exception of Leicester and, and what they did. Um, two seasons ago, and I think since then it's just got back to normal. And, uh, but I, I, I also think that the more time it goes, the bigger that divide becomes between the six and the fourteen. But then this season, but this no one is adrift. I mean, there's nobody adrift, is there? Oh, uh, the bottom, well, the, 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 there isn't a poor team in the division, in, in my opinion. I mean, West Brom, uh, West Brom still bottom. Yes. yes, West Brom are... And they're a little bit adrift. Four, West Brom are four points adrift, and they're a decent team. They're not like the Sunderland team of, 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 um, of last season. But, but, no, but, 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 no, but there have been a few real sort of sad cases in the Premier League. There was a terrible derby team at, at some stage, and it looks like there are six very good teams and 14 very competent teams. Um, and three good teams are going to go down, and, and most of them are have got good players and the ones who have got less good players maybe you know if you look at Brighton or, or Bournemouth or um, Huddersfield they've come up from the championship with with momentum and and I think it's in some ways easier for those clubs when they when they come up with that momentum and when it's all exciting and new than it is for a, for a club like Newcastle who are Big coming up and it's not new it's just normality I don't have a theory for it but it's I'm terrified every time I open the paper. <laughs> and it's just, it is that thing where there's just no gap. I mean, there is not a gap. Normally, you would be saying that one team, they've gone, or two teams, they've gone. And so the rest are fighting for, to, to not be the third team that goes down. And there's just nothing. You, I mean, you couldn't say with any certainty that West Brom are going to go down. They've got good players. So I don't have any theories behind it, but it's absolutely, it's terrifying. Well, I, mean, I mean, there's this thing about, matches being, it's a six-pointer. Well, they're all six-pointers. What's it like managing in that framework as opposed to the normal one? I said in a, in a press conference that maybe it's positive because you have more teams than someone else will make a mistake. But at the same time, you are under the same pressure because you cannot make mistakes. And you can see we had a very bad run the Huddersfield now has a very bad run and Bournemouth has a very bad run. You can lose four games in a row if you are not lucky. 
everything has the same problem. You play Manchester City, United, and after you lose against a team of your league, then you have Liverpool after, and you have lost already four games in a row. And that is the, the problem. The gap is so big. Sometimes not just on the pitch, but the, when you see in a whole season, every game, when you have a bigger squad, you can change players and you can win even with your players that are not playing too, too many games. That, that is a big difference. And then you see the difference between seventh, I think it was uh, Everton last year, and eighth was 15 or 20 points. So that is the reason why I have confidence that if we do well and we stay in the Premier League, next year you can be in the top 10 because just maybe you will be 15 points behind the sixth or whatever, but you can be there. If you have the players with the experience that they can keep you there, then the next year is easier to build from bringing two or three players and then they can make a big difference. Now, for us, uh, you can see Huddersfield, you can see Brighton. You need to sign players, and they have to settle down in the Premier League, and they are right, fine, but if not, you are suffering until the end. Teams like uh, Bournemouth or Barley, that they have already been there for two or three years, they have players that maybe anyone here, any uh, Newcastle United fan would say, I will not sign this player from any of these teams. I don't want to be disrespectful. But I'm sure that this player will do a job for us because has been five years in the Premier League, he knows the division, he knows what he has to do, when he has to waste time, when he has to attack mm -hmm. or to defend. And we are sometimes missing that because mm -hmm. always I say, it's a young team. So we are learning and sometimes you say, oh, you have to learn quicker. But we are learning and we are trying to do well in a division with a lot of teams, with a lot of experienced players. When Rafa's talking about that and the learning process of this team, I looked at the team that went down, the Newcastle team that went down in 2009. It was a very talented team, but a team that seemed to have no real heart to it. And I was watching the, the, the game at Palace the other day, and it seemed like it was a very honest performance. It was, it, it was a performance full of heart, and it was, it, you know, it's not the most skillful team Newcastle have seen, certainly, and, and it's probably not the most skillful team amongst those other 14 in the Premier League, but it's, it seems to me that it's a team that you probably can rely on. To yes, what I'm trying to say mm. uh, every week, uh, then you are so close, five minutes to go, and then you can win against Marley, and then it will be totally different, but you have Everton, you hit the post twice, and then you can see an awful goal, and then we are so close that this lack of experience means a lot because uh, when we concede against uh, Leicester, the last five minutes they were just corner, mm -hmm. throwing, but, but wasting time. It's something that you have to learn how to do it. And then for us, the main problem is that we cannot score the second goal and then maybe have more chances to win the game and that's it. So we are 1-0 up and then we concede because we are not managing the situation. Some people, even at home in Spain, my family say, why you put the team, go the, the team back? No, I'm not doing that. They are pushing you. And then you try to push them, but sometimes they push harder. So then you try to stay there. You try to manage the situation. But the other teams, Crystal Palace was very clear. And I, I know because I was talking with them that they needed to control our midfielder because we were controlling the middle. Then they have two strikers and they changed Sahat to the left side. And uh, MacArthur was in the middle. And then he was linking really well. He was doing... 1v1 overlaps from the fullbacks that were going forward. Then we have more pressure and we couldn't manage in the wide areas and in the middle, so we have to defend. Then the way to attack them is just you go, you keep the ball, and then all the counter attack that we have in the second half. And if you don't do that, you have to defend. It's not that you want to defend and you are dropping off because you want to be safe. No, no, it's because they are pushing you. So this change of uh, players for us, 
was a, a big problem because we couldn't manage. And also, we have Diameda is doing well. He was uh, limping a little bit. He has a problem. Then we have to make another substitution. So I would say Kennedy. That people say, oh, you was wrong with Kennedy. But they were attacking. And I wanted to be more solid in the wide areas that we have problems. So these kind of things, it depends on the players that you have, you can manage. So when you criticize the tactics of the manager, sometimes some people were telling me, oh, Joselo will play again. And Joselo had a virus and was at home. So, oh, Joselo. so they were criticizing me early before and when he couldn't even play. So these things that you have to understand as a manager, maybe if you go to Huddersfield, if you go to Brighton, they will not feel this pressure. They are over the moon to stay in the Premier League. Mm. For the Newcastle United fans, for this club, is, you have to stay there. And you have to be in the middle of the table. That is a big difference. And when George was talking about last year in the Championship, I was telling them in every press conference, 30% of the teams that they were relegated, they promote. Just 30%. So, players, they need support. You're obviously very used to working in cities that a sort of obsessional about football. I mean, whether it's Madrid, whether it's Liverpool, and of course Newcastle, where it's the only club and it's right in the middle of the city. It's the focal point of the city. But do you relate to that obsession, I suppose? Because, I mean, I think you're probably an obsessional manager. And is there any time that you don't think about football? And what do you do, what do, you do when you're not? Playing cards. That's, we have, but that's, that's true, that's Moose, that's the Spanish We have a Spanish game that is Moose, M-U-S, that is very funny, and then we lost today, to be fair, I lost, so <laughs> I was really left. But uh, no, I like to play chess, but uh, now you play against the machines and they are winning all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I play cards and then, yeah, I stay with the family when I go all the weekends. But there were, some, there were some lovely quotes in the papers at, at the weekend when you were talking about being with your family and trying to talk about something else, and then suddenly you're moving the salt and pepper pots and yeah, I've done doing four four two. So many times. My wife said, "Go away from the kitchen because she starts changing everything." <laughs> She's changing the tactics. I prepared the team four four two well organized, and then she changed the tactic and put. <laughs> <laughs> it's killing me. So we lose because of that. So yeah. <laughs> we are organized. No, but. Uh, <laughs> now, I like football, and now when you are getting older, then you have to think about other things. But uh, what I, I like is also my staff. Today we were analyzing the game and uh, watching the clips, and then one of the members of the staff has meetings with players and then talking about the clips. Look, you were doing this, that, that. Another one is uh, with two or three players doing some finishes or on, some crosses. Or, so we work on all these things. And then even when we miss chances or when we make mistakes, you say, oh, you are not working uh, during the week. Yeah, we are working really hard. Every day, every week, we have a lot of people taking care of the players and trying to, to give them advice and trying to improve them. But still, you play against another one. And the other one maybe is doing the same. That is mm -hmm. one important thing. The Premier League has improved also uh, in terms of the level of the managers. Because you have more foreign managers coming with different ideas, more young English managers coming, learning from anyone, and then you have better managers, and then there's the reason why you can change the manager and still the new managers, they're doing well. They think, oh, this manager is the one. It's because you have better managers now too. What is it that you're searching for? I mean, are you in search of the perfect game of football? Does that exist? I mean, is that what you're... And what is it that drives... Because you talked about managing on into your 70s. What is it about the game that still intrigues you like that? Before, it depends on the countries. Um, in Spain, the games are more technical and tactical. So Spain has a very good experience with the uh, coaches 
uh, and the young players they have won under 21s, under 18s, under 17s, they have won a lot of trophies and obviously the, the, the World Cup. So Spain has a culture of coaching technically and tactically really well, the players. You go to Italy and in Italy they are really good tactically. So the Italians, they stopped you playing. They know how to do it. And then they change the system three, four times during the game. Five, three, two, one, we play five, four, one, four, four, two. And if you lose the game, you have seven interviews after the game and each, uh, <laughs> each TV or each, uh, normally it's the, the, uh, the TVs, they have four people, four experts asking you the most difficult questions. But then when you answer four questions, then you go to the next TV and then you have another four questions. So everyone has to make you the most difficult question to, to answer. Then you have one hour answering questions about tactics. You didn't realize that they changed to 442. It's like this every single game. Then you come to England, and when I came to England... You've never had one tactical question. Eh? <laughs> but, no, but you, still you are learning, so... <laughs> when, I came, when I came to England, this is a midfielder. Which kind of midfielder? Box to box. It's box to box. It's a whole, no, no, box to box. So it has to be box to box. Energy. So what he's doing? Tackles. He's great doing tackles. Then one of my assistants, he has, his son was, um, was in the school. He was playing in the team. Then he was going to watch him. So in Spain, when you start with the kids, the warm-up, they start passing the ball. And here they were taking corners. Corners and then throw-ins. So it's a, it's a different culture. That was the reality. But now, what I said before, you have more uh, foreign managers. The English uh, managers, they are learning. And then you pick something from this one that is coming from Portugal, this one that is coming from Spain, this one from Italy. They are taking things from everyone. And now you can see when they talk about the tactics. You play against Manchester City. Oh, you play defensive. But the majority of the teams... It's 4-1-4-1, four, 5-4-1, four, four, whatever. So they have tactics that in the past you couldn't expect. And you would say, oh, that is not right for English football. But the, if you do that, you can win more games in Europe. If you don't do that, we'll be attacking football. Everybody will be excited. But they still will be too open. And you will lose games against teams that they are well-organized tactically and they have quality. So that is the, the bad thing about tactics, because you have more control and the good thing because you can win more games in a long term. It's, it's funny, when, when George asked Rafa about, are you looking for the perfect game? I remember being at a game, a Champions League game at Liverpool, where they beat Besiktas 8-0 at Anfield, which is still the record for a Champions League group game. Yeah, record right. for a Champions League game, which equals your, your own record. So you've got the two biggest wins okay. in the Champions League. But... After that game, Rafa was asked, come on, Rafa, that, that was perfect, wasn't it? He was, no, no. no. <laughs> he, he was pointing out where, where he'd gone wrong. And, you know, I, I think you are a true perfectionist. This game, I think, I don't want to be wrong, but I think Peter Crouch hit the crossbar, so it wasn't perfect. <laughs> <laughs> be nice, Robert. And when yeah, I, yeah. I still, what I say, what you say, when I finish the game, sometimes I talk with players because... The way that I like to coach, and it depends on each player, is to teach them, not to tell them. So you have to make them think about the problem and find the solution. And you have to tell him, listen this. And we go, we explain to them, we go to the clips, we analyze the clips, we go to the pitch, we train on the pitch, and then we start the process again. So 
And if something is wrong, you have to watch, you have to train, and then perform during the games. That is the way. Then if you give them two days off. So in England, when you don't play the FA Cup, you have 15 days. So some <laughs> clubs say, oh, Dubai, one week, <laughs> or whatever. And then you have to tell them something, because if not, they will go to Dubai to play golf, and then you don't have time to talk with them and collect <laughs> things. It's true. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can I have a show of hands, please? Who, in 2005, you're watching the Champions League final... 3-0 at halftime to AC Milan. Hands up, those of you who thought game's over, might go and do the ironing. <laughs> no. not, not, me. No, no, no. not me. Not me. Not me. I certainly didn't do the ironing, but no. No, but they will, you will ask me about that, and I will tell you, they don't understand me now, because my English is not good enough. Imagine in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> but what... I know you've spoken about it a lot... But it was the miracle of Istanbul. Has it become to you almost like a dream? Do you feel like, can that have really happened? Or are you very pragmatic? It was just another match. I did my job. No, how, do you, how do you look back on it? No, it's not another match. Because I know, I, was, I, I always will say that I think it's the, the best final ever in terms of emotion, not the game. The game was, a, I don't know if I can ask you the same question, but we changed at halftime. We were playing with four, and we changed to three in the back. I put Didi Haman in the middle. That I, was, I wanted to, to be offensive, and to be fair, if you analyze, the AC Milan team was the best team at this time, miles away of the others. And I wanted to be proactive. I say I would play with Alonso and Gerard, but we leave a big gap, because Gerard, is, at this time, still was a box-to-box. -box. He was going there, <laughs> a big gap in the middle. Then after when we put the Didi Hammer, we have more control. So tactically, it was, was good. But you cannot do anything, even tactically, if you don't have Stevie there or you have Smyser scoring or Alonso, the, the, the goal. So the team was little by little believing that we could do it, but at halftime, so I, I said this so many times. We were losing 2 nil, and I was taking my notes, and you know that I'm taking notes all the time. And I said, 2 nil down. What can I say? <laughs> and it was nearly half time. I said, what can I say in English? That is quite difficult. And I, some of you maybe, I don't know if you coach a team, but when you have to explain something, half time, you don't have 
it has to be very clear. You don't have time, and the, the message has to be right, and the body language has to, has to be right. So in English, you are losing 2 nil. And when I was taking my notes, we considered the third goal. I said, 3 nil now. So, then I was walking to the dressing room thinking, what can I say in English? And I said, come on, nothing to lose. We're working very hard, blah, 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 blah. But the main thing was the tactics. No, I said to Didi Hammond, uh, with uh, Paco Yesteran, the fitness goal, go to do the warm-up. And then I explained the tactics, and he went to do the warm-up. And after, when I finished, I don't know if you know that, but because I, this story has been 200 times, I don't know. When I finished the team talk, everything was organized. Then I went to see the, the physio, Dave Galli, that was working with um, on Finan. And Finan said, what is going on? Because we have one substitution, Harry Kewell, that was changed in 20 minutes with an injury. And then I had Didi Hammond ready. And then Dave was working with a stick with Finan. He said, what is going on? No, he has a problem here. That I think he cannot play 45 minutes, he told me. So what? No, you have to make a substitution. And Fina was watching him like, oh, I will kill him. And I was thinking, oh. <laughs> and I have already told Jimmy Traore that he could go to the shower. And I was thinking, oh, I have two substitutions. And Didi and uh, Fina will not play 45 minutes, three nil down in English, so what I have to say. Then I say, Jimmy, come back. Finan, go to the shower. Fina was killing the, the physio, and Jimmy Traore was, okay, fine, ready. And then we played three in the back with Traore, instead of, I wanted to play Carra with uh, Sami Hippia and Finan, and then we changed Finan, we put uh, Traore on the left side with uh, Carra. So just make this decision in one minute, because I was losing one, one substitution already, and I needed the substitution at the end. So it was so difficult, the final, against a very good team, and they were celebrating at halftime, so they were... We have already won. That is, for me, is the, the best final ever. But not just because the way that everything was going on outside, also inside, was quite difficult. A lot of people, and it's a big name, I would not say the name, but it was a halftime, he, he left. And after, when uh, uh, we drew and then we won, oh, no, yeah, I was watching, I have to believe. I know that. <laughs> it's not true. And even the story that they told me, the grandfather with his uh, grandson, they were watching the game. And the grandfather went to sleep. And in the morning, the grandson was telling him, listen, we have one, we won, we won. He said, no, it's a dream. He thought that was a dream. He said, no, no chance. No, that is true. Eh? It's, it's, it's a real story. He thought that was a dream. He said, no. Then this, this time, the way that everything was going on, it was massive. And obviously, uh, the fans, they love me for that. And that is, can we replicate something like this here? So I would not say the Champions League, but we need to, to stick together because the passion and the feeling from the fans is very similar. Is it true that the Milan players had T-shirts on underneath and you knew that and you the, used that? No, no, we didn't know. They, they, we knew that after that they were celebrating. Even I said that Gattuso made a mistake because when you go through the tunnel and you have the, the cup there, you cannot touch the cup because it's bad luck and he touched the cup. So <laughs> that was, oh. was a problem for them. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's interesting that Rafa said that after that the fans... The Liverpool fans loved him because I, I remember going to Cardiff for the League Cup final three months before that, and you, were, you know the, the season wasn't going perfectly in the league, was it? You, you know you, you'd gone out to the FA Cup to Burnley, you know it'd been a difficult, difficult first season in some ways, and all your hopes were in those two cup competitions. And yet I remember walking up to the ground in Cardiff, you know where the Millennium Stadium is right in the city centre, and there were people carrying around this sort of gold-framed portrait. Um, Ayatollah style of, 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 of Rafa and 
there was this huge emotional investment in Rafa from, from a very early stage. And um, I, I always got the impression you seemed quite kind of shocked and bewildered by that because, was, you, know, be, uh, 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 you know, before you'd won something. But it's the same here, isn't it? You know, everyone just sees you as this um, figure who's going to make everything okay. <laughs> yeah, no but pressure. No, <laughs> no but I, I remember now one thing. I, I forgot about that in the, the <laughs> final, and now this final, because both finals, we won on penalties, and people say, oh, you were lucky. No, the first thing is to be in the final, <laughs> winning so many games against Juventus, blah, blah. so it's not lucky. It's just that you have a team that well-organized and working really hard. But the final in Istanbul, from... Five of the penalty takers, we knew four of them where they were taking the penalties. And in uh, Cardiff, was the same with Washam. So we have Pepe Reina on goal. And then we knew because we have a database that we are working on that. It's not, we are not successful because on morning, we wake up and say, oh, we do this, that, and that's it. So a lot of staff, a lot of people working really hard. We knew the penalties. Uh, and normally, the keeper has an advantage if you know. Now what happened? You have the TV and they put you this, that, that, that. But at this time, not many... Not too many people knew that. Then, for us, it was an advantage. They talk about uh, Jersey Dudek in the Grovel Art dance, but the, and Carragher telling him, but believe me, five from five, four, we knew when were they taking the penalties. And this is a great advantage if you want to win trophies. When you win in the Cups, sometimes it's just these little mm -hmm. things. So to do something similar here, so I know that the fans, they were Stop really saying excited. that. Stop saying that. We're, you'll get us too excited. They were very excited with the calves and all these things, but it's just a question of time to settle down and start working on building something uh, really important for the future. When you look at your career, do you, I mean, I don't know if you ever look back on it, but do you, do you regard it, do you rate it in terms of the things that you've won in the past, or do you just say to yourself, I was at Chelsea, I was at Liverpool, I was in Madrid, it was interesting, it was exciting, it was difficult. How do you, no, how do you look back on your career like that? No. I want to win more trophies if it's possible. I want to, to do well. I want to win every game. But sometimes, now, you have to be realistic. And when I was in uh, Napoli, I knew that playing against Juventus was very difficult. So you know all these things. But still, you want to win trophies and you want to do well. And you want to create something. So I'm really pleased when I can see former players doing well. We had Coutinho. And a lot of people want to give me massive credit for Coutinho. Coutinho, when we signed for Inter Milan, he came there, was a young player. And then um, he was coming from Brazil, he couldn't talk Italian, so we take care of him and he was growing and improving and we were happy. So these things for me are also really important, but that people would realize or will remember just uh, the trophies. But I think to build something and to bring players and to have players, when uh, you were talking about oh, Gerard at the end of the game, some people, oh, Rafa, he doesn't put the arm on the shoulder. Blah, blah. I have a lot of players, a lot of players that after they realize. I was learning, I was improving, and I'm a much better player now. And for me, it's like to win a trophy. You mentioned it's unlucky to touch the cup before yeah. you've won it. Are you a superstitious person? Do you have no. a routine before any element no, of I, the game? Not too much, to be fair. Uh, in Italy, we have, I will not say, one chairman that um, before the game, he was really, really superstitious. And then we kind of go um, purple. The tie cannot be purple, this cannot be this. So everything was, you have to be careful. But then he wanted to, to do a circle before the games and then shake hands and then start talking and that. And then we won one game where he did that. On oh. the pitch or in the dressing room? In the dressing room. So we have to do it every game. He was coming, come on. <laughs> one day, he was coming late. So 
They say, oh, he's, he's not coming. Oh, hopefully. Oh. But then he arrives at the last minute. Come on, the circle. And we lost the game. I said, okay, fine. Finish that with the circle. <laughs> we was, oh, well, well. I can't say what he said during the, the talk, but uh, we said, hopefully he will not come. He was coming anyway. Something you say quite, quite often is football is a lie, but you love football, and football is everything to you. So what do you mean by that? Because it, it doesn't mean that you don't love football. No, it means that uh, I like to improve players, I like to coach players, I like to win trophies, I like to compete, I like to, to go every day uh, in the training sessions and prepare routines for players. So I like all these things, and especially with young players. When I was in, in Liverpool doing nothing because I was fired, I went to see my, my daughter and on Friday they had the, the kids, they had a training session and then I was watching one of the of the parents was doing uh, the coaching and I was watching and then the next week so if you want I can help okay fine so I was <laughs> coaching the boys in the in the playground and then I didn't say to you that but then two weeks after they have a game and they have a, against a, a team that the keeper was massive and then he was throwing the ball there and the throw-ins long throw-ins everything was and they have the other team they have a, a small rifle back and this team they have a quite good talented um, uh, left footed in playing in the middle and then at half time I said listen why you don't put this one this quick and has ability as a left winger against the right football they did it and they won <laughs> and the other parents said oh listen you have a professional giving you advice it's not fair <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> then I decided not to go anymore because then you go there and then you have problems with people so I like football and I like to to, <laughs> to coach and to teach the, the last part at the same time what can I say here do you think that I can say Everything that I know, I cannot, mm. because it will not be good for me, for the team, or whatever. Then the press, you have to write things, or you have to write things, and you have to comment things, or whatever. But you cannot say everything that is going on, everything that is going on. I was telling you off the record before, and I would say on the record, because it's not a big issue. One day, my mother called me and said, listen, why you don't call me? Said, what? No, you have to come and visit me. Why? I am in Liverpool. No, 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 you have been in Madrid. No, I was not in Madrid. Yeah, you were in Madrid. No, you were in this restaurant uh, having dinner with this uh, president of because they want to sign you. No, I'm in Liverpool. No, but this newspaper <coughs> is saying that. She couldn't trust me. Then that is the problem with uh, sometimes the media now. Football is a lie because you cannot say everything. And some people say something and they repeat the same lie all the time. And you think that is true because you don't have the information. So. And it's quite difficult when you know the truth, but they, you cannot say anything, and still they are criticizing you for that, or they, are, they have an opinion about that. So in England, you say, you don't talk about tactics. So now you talk about tactics. So I don't know any pundit, any pundit losing a game in the scrim, so they win all the games. Though, you know. <laughs> but for us, it's quite difficult. One manager was saying in an interview after the game, said, listen, your team was disorganized, believe me. When we start the game, I organize the team. After they disorganize during the game, so he was saying that. that is true. So you cannot say everything, and then you go tell the fans what you have to tell. After you tell your players what you think, it's a big lie because that you cannot say the truth. It's, it's like this. Yeah. Well, I was not lying when I said you could ask questions. Please ask maybe George and Ollie one, maybe to make them feel involved. But the, if, if no. you just want to talk to Rafa, that's absolutely fine. I don't think we're the main attraction. <laughs> You, uh, just raise your hand and someone will come with a microphone. So if you could wait until the microphone is with you. That gentleman was fast <coughs> off the mark. 
the, the other guys can answer this as well, because my sense is that uh, part of the, the, the genius of that guy sat in the middle is that uh, he manages to... We do our best. He manages to manage uh, the dressing room, the fans, as we've talked about a lot, the owners, which is difficult in this case, I'm sure, might be even worse at Chelsea, but also the media. And is that the panel's view, that that's what makes Rafa special? He seems to be a very honest communicator across those four distinct audiences. George. Yeah, I mean, as a manager now, you have to, you don't just manage your players, you have to manage up uh, quite often. You're, you're, you know, pressing your case to sign players, whatever, and of course you have to get your message across to, to fans and you do it through the media. And, I mean, Rafa is a consummate professional. Uh, I mean, he's brilliant with us. He's very communica communicative and explains kind of what's going on and explains what he can, what he can do. Um, and I mean, I'd, it's very interesting listening to you talk about your relationship with the players because it feels like it's a sort of almost teacher-pupil kind of relationship that you're trying to improve them and trying to, trying to make them better. But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the great challenges at football clubs now. You sort of see what happens at a club like Chelsea, for example, that can win the title last season. I don't, I don't kind of report on Chelsea, but win the title last season and then things can seem to disintegrate so quickly and in public and I think that's one of the it's one of the skills of the modern manager you have to you're not just managing your your players you're you're managing above and sideways and below also it's a it's a difference between foreign managers and the English managers because the foreign managers we we were not managers we were coaches so we were coaching and after you have to manage and some of the English managers they just manage they don't coach the team so I like to coach my players I like to to be on the pitch with them, but at the same time, you know that you have to pass a message. I said before, I cannot say the truth, but I try to be honest. I don't lie to you, so we have a lot of off-the-record conversation. I say, listen, I have to say that, that. The reality is this, this, but I cannot say that. And you have to have this relationship with the, with the media. You have a lot of them, so someone will criticize you in an unfair way, but it's something that you have to understand and to upset. And the main thing for me is, with what you say to the fans, you pass this message to the fans, and they believe you, then it's right. And then you have to trust the manager that I will not tell you a lie. So if I cannot say anything, I will not say anything, yeah. but I will not tell you a lie. And what, sorry, what, one, one very important thing that I know that Rafa's repeated time and time again uh, this evening, and with good reason, at this stage, at this point, it doesn't matter, nothing at Newcastle matters now, apart from results and getting to the end of the season and staying up and everybody has to be behind, has to be behind. Them. Yeah, I was trying to give this message also after a lot of press conference. Some fans, they expect me to criticise the club, to criticise the owner, to, and now it's not the point, so I don't need to do that. Internally we have been talking about that and they know my opinion, but now is the time to stick together and try to, to get three points against this team because it will be a massive difference and sometimes it's just the support of the fans that make the difference. It's not just my tactics, so it's the feeling that the players have when they try to do something and the fans say, okay, try again, try again. So one of the games, uh, one of our players was making a mistake and I called him uh, to the touchline and said, listen, try again, try again, it's the only way. So if they understand that and they have this feeling that it's not easy for a young team, then we will be a little bit better. But if we criticize our players, then they will feel the pressure and we'll make more mistakes. Do, do you think it's important that you're able to communicate with Newcastle fans directly? 
at something like this? Because I don't see Mourinho doing this. I don't see Jurgen Klopp or Guardiola. Or, you know, it, but I, I get the impression that you feel there is, a, there is an importance in sort of protecting that yeah, bond. And uh, maybe, maybe the difference also is that when you are in a massive club with uh, top-class players that you pay millions and millions for them, sometimes they can do their job. Mm. on their own. You don't need the manager protecting them. They have to take responsibility and they can do uh, what they, they do well. That is the reason why they are paid at this, uh, this level. So our players is a group of young players that they have the commitment, the passion, and uh, we have to understand that. And it's a massive club. My answer to your question would be um, I cover a lot of football in the south of England and the dignity <laughs> <laughs> Someone has to do it. The dignity that Rafa showed when he was at Chelsea. It's hard enough being given the title interim manager, although I think most Chelsea managers are interim <laughs> managers. But there were fans who just did not want Rafa there because of his connections, mainly with Liverpool, really. Um, you handled it beautifully and managed to bring them silverware just to sort of rub it in. It was superb. So he does have the magic touch. Um, do you want to say a word about time at Chelsea? Yeah, well, they said so many times, I have a very good time there. The staff, players, the atmosphere was really good every single day in the training sessions. And um, we didn't have any problem at all with um, the staff and the people that was close to us every day. And they were really pleased. We were going to the games and at the beginning was a small group of uh, fans. After, it was growing because uh, some people maybe were interested in that, but we knew already. So we had a game against Middlesbrough in the, in the cup, and I say live in the TV, listen, I will leave at the end of the season, so just concentrate on your team, support the team. And since this day, the atmosphere was much positive. Everybody was just supporting the team. And then you have a group of fans that say, okay, fine, fair enough. But the rest of the fans, and I was going through the streets, and, and the fans would tell me, listen, you are doing a good job. So. It was more the perception of the, of the media. Oh, this is happening. So we have fans with an A4. Uh, oh, Rafa, listen, come on. I'll do a little bit better. No, then, <laughs> then it wasn't, it wasn't a problem for me. We were just concentrated. We were enjoying. And, and to be fair, at the end, we went to America for a, a couple of games against Manchester City. And we were in New York. And I have messages and I have uh, the board telling me, thank you very much, you did a great job. And people there said, hopefully you could stay because you have done a great job. And the way that we were coaching and training them, they were really pleased with that. So inside was much better than the perception outside. I haven't forgotten there are people upstairs. So there's a gentleman in the front row of the balcony. You kind of failed, you kind of failed to detect that in this part of the world, if you are born 10 miles either side of the river, time you're born with black and white eyes. It's like a religion. And it's, it's my sincere hope that when you eventually ride off into the sunset into, into your retirement, whenever that might be, you have black and white eyes as well. But <laughs> the question I have for you is, if you were granted a wish by your fairy godmother, and she said, what kind of player would you like for your team, Newcastle? Would you buy a creative midfielder who creates chances or would you buy a devastating striker who makes his own chances and scores goals? 
What is it you would like to have most, just a one player? It's an easy question, and it's a tricky question. The question is about my team now. So this team, what, we, what I would like to sign, or ideally what I would like to sign. If it's ideally a midfielder. I was a midfielder, I was a sweeper at this time when you were playing with a sweeper. So I was a midfielder and I liked it, uh, this, uh, this position. And I think it's a key position. So you have a midfielder that he can understand the game, your team will play better. So I think it's a, it's a crucial position. Obviously, if you have a striker that's scoring goals, then it uh, can make the difference. But then I had this discussion in, in Italy before. Normally, you know, the spine of the team, the keeper, the centre-back, the midfielder and the striker are key players. Because if you have these players, you have a good keeper, a good centre-back, that they can talk and they can manage the others, and a midfielder and a striker, you have everything. And the other players, they will move around. But um, I was playing as a midfielder, and uh, my last year playing for Linares, I was League One, and I was injured. I had problems always with my knee, and I was injured at this time. The last three months, the manager told me, listen, you stay there in the middle of the pitch, just talking. <laughs> so, what I have to do? I needed to talk and to come here, go there, blah, 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 blah. Oli, who do you think, well, what position do Newcastle need to fill, would you say? Well, I don't really want to offend anyone that Newcastle um, have at the moment, but um, I mean, Rafa, throughout his time, I mean, well, towards the end at Liverpool, he had Fernando Torres at his, at his peak, and I imagine a sort of peak Fernando Torres would have improved any team. A peak, Steven Gerrard, peak, Xabi Alonso, peak, Javier Mascarano, and, and without wishing to be disrespectful to anybody at Newcastle, Rafa's working with a different quality of, of player now, and I think it's, it's got to be all about you know, making it more than the sum of its parts. I think Rafa's teams have always been more than the sum of their parts, but I think, I think it's getting even more out of those individual parts, isn't it, now? It's also, the Premier League, is, the level is so high mm. that it's not just a couple of players. You need a team to be sure that you can cope with the quality of the other teams. Um, it's probably not one for Rafa, um, and possibly not for George, because I know what he'll say. But um, You have two options now, eh? <laughs> if, uh, sorry, when we stay up this season, um, would you recommend, if the ownership doesn't change, that Rafa should stay at Newcastle or not? I, I, I don't see why George can't answer that, but um, no, it, I think Rafa will get offers. I think he's had offers before. I think he had offers after the relegation, and, and he will have offers. So it's not a case of um, Rafa needing to sort of make his case to Newcastle. I think it's Newcastle needing to be Rafa's best option, and I think having committed two years ago and committed even last summer... It looks like he's in it, you know, it looks like he's very invested in it and, um, and so on. But he, he would need to know, I think, that there's the ambition to keep moving on. And it must be very, I think it must be quite disheartening at the moment in the Premier League for those clubs who have been sort of faced with a glass ceiling in seventh, eighth place where they feel like they can't get up to the top six. And Newcastle haven't been at that level for a for, for a good while and I think it would be a good aim to, to get to that point and then maybe Newcastle be, could be the ones to break that glass ceiling but I think I think there needs to be probably needs to be some more good news from the um, boardroom to persuade Rafa and persuade everyone 
really persuade the fans that there's a plan to sort of move on? Yeah, I'll say something very brief. I mean, my opinion is I've expressed that enough times, I think, and I'll continue to do that. I don't think that's the right thing to talk about tonight. And the reason I say that is because Rafa's here with the club's uh, blessing and agreement. And for all that we have disagreements, uh, whether as journalists and clubs, there is a great willingness on the club's behalf to be open and to engage. And I think that tonight is a perfect example of that. So I'd, I kind of want to say that. What I said at the start, when Rafa, you know, I found very emotional when Rafa came and talked about history, size, potential. I want Newcastle to be that club. And it would be terribly sad if Newcastle weren't that club. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy, enjoy him for every second that he's here. Bit of a lighter question. Uh, your house is burning down. You can only save one of your trophies. Which one do you pick? <laughs> Championship. They are in the basement. That's a lot. People think about the, the trophies. Uh, we have won 13 plus three promotions. Some people, they forget that three promotions are even more important sometimes than a trophy because it's more difficult to promote. I will not say with the Newcastle United that the championship is, is quite difficult, but Extremadura or Tenerife, I am really proud of uh, my promotion. Extremadura was very, very difficult. Extremadura is a, a small team in Almendralejo, in Badajoz, in Spain. They have 28,000 uh, people in the, in the city, or in the village, and uh, they were relegated. And then they, they didn't have a manager, and they, they come for me, for me, and we promoted when we lost the majority of the top class players that they had, and it was so difficult that they, we promoted with a small team and a small village. And the same, same questions to George. Great North Run? Uh, Great North Run medal, yes. Yeah. Cycling, I've report, I was born in 1970, I've reported on one uh, North East trophy in that time, which is Millsborough in the League Cup, so I don't have a huge collection to yeah. choose from. Yeah. I probably, I'd probably save my cycling proficiency bars <laughs> from <laughs> 1982. Personally, tw 25 metres swimming. Okay. I was late in Orient Ladies, uh, player of the season once. <laughs> 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 Gentlemen. Firstly, given the propensity for loans from the big clubs, do you think we're heading towards a Spanish style where the big clubs are actually going to populate the lower leagues with B teams, as they do in Spain? And also, on a Newcastle point of view, how far away do we think Jamal Lascelles is from an England call-up, given his performances this season compared to other people in his position? Yeah, well, the first one. So... Are we, uh, are we getting closer to having B teams, clubs having B teams oh, in this okay. country? I think that's where you, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll go back to Lascelles. I think Lascelles is, is growing and is improving and he's doing, he's doing well, but he still is a young player and there's plenty of room for improvement, but he's, uh, he's working really hard to, to be better. So I think it was a question of time. So I prefer if he stay calm and they don't distract him too much, but it's a question of time that he will go and he will do well. Uh, with England. The B team, maybe you will remember, but the, the B team situation, when I was in Liverpool, I said before, and they were, oh, you are attacking the, the tradition, and, uh, because I said, why the B teams are not playing in the championship, for example? I said, oh, no, because we have a big clubs there in the championship, or it's not fair. But, 
When I was in Madrid, I was the coach of the, the second team of Real Madrid, and we were playing in the second division, the championship, and our team was 19, 20 years old. So the, the oldest was 21. They could see the best players of Real Madrid in the future. They could see them playing in... If you, we were going to Huelva, for example, and you're going to Huelva, imagine Almendralejo, you go to a small places with the best players, they will be the stars of the future. And then these players, they didn't have experience, but they have a lot of quality. And if you can compete, why you cannot stay there? They will play better football, and for the fans, it will be nice. And if your team is stronger than them, they will be in the championship. But then why you would say no to a team with Steven Gerrard or Michael Owen or Carrer when they were 18, 19 years old? all together playing in the championship. Why not? You will see the best players in the country in the future playing in front of you and could be fine. And you will improve the level. The under-23 league now, that was the under-21, is a way to give some players, some young players, more football. I think this year the Premier League has less young players playing than ever. Why? Because you need to win because the money is so big that everybody is bringing players with experience to compete and to win. So you will not give chances to the young players, only if they are really, really good. But the, the majority of the teams, they don't have an academy with five stars that they can play in the, in the Premier League already. So I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for young players to play uh, in another level and to compete against senior players. And they will be better, and I think that can be good also for England in the future. We have time for only one more question, and no pressure. I'd like it to be a really good one. So there's a chap in the balcony who's had his hand up a while. So let's go back to the very start, Alison. You were speaking to Mitrovic in Fulham. I was, yes. And there's a lot of my friends who have a lot of time for Mr. Mitrovic, and we don't really understand what it is that went wrong between Rafa and Mitrovic. I mean, if for example, you know, Rafa, you've just said, if you were given a magic wand and you could sign any player, you would sign a midfielder. But I think everybody that I know <laughs> thinks we need a striker. Now, if we were given the opportunity, suppose Mitrovic hadn't been at Newcastle and we were given the opportunity to sign a current international, proven international goal scorer, would we have been happy to sign Alex Mitrovic at the time? I think everybody said, yeah. So can you please explain to us all what went wrong with Mitrovic? I was not expecting this question. Eh? <laughs> before, before Rafa answers, I just would like to say I spent quite a long time with Alexander yesterday and he had only lovely things to say about Rafa and how much he learned from you. And he feels you're both on the same way you've learned in terms of the passion for Newcastle. He's a big Newcastle fan. He loves the club. Yeah. He would like nothing more than to get Fulham promoted, get Serbia through the group stage of the World Cup, prove to you that he's learned his lesson about his discipline. It's his discipline is a problem. And come back to Newcastle, the club he loves, and prove to you that he can be a good striker. I didn't answer about which player which position, I say, in general, for a team, any team, the holding midfielder, the midfielder that can create and can defend and can stay there and dictate the tempo of the game. That, was the, that wasn't about Newcastle, because yeah, that was your yeah, position was as a player. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't say anything about Newcastle when you say, oh, we need this. It's not fair for me to say we need this, that, that. I have already told our people that. 
And we know I don't want to disrespect any, any of our players, no? Far from our team, the position of the striker, obviously, is, is crucial. We say Fernando Torres was making a big difference. It's crucial for any team. Mitro, I, was, uh, I have had a lot of conversation with him, and um, he needed to play, and I couldn't guarantee that he would play. Then some people say, oh, Rafa is a stubborn, and then he doesn't want to recognize that he made a mistake. No, it's not like this, because if, it's like, if it was like this, I would not play Mitro any time. I was playing sometimes the last 20 minutes. So why? Because I wanted him to score the winning goal. So people, they forget one thing. The players they play, or they are on the bench, or they are in the stands. The manager is always playing every single game. So I want to win every single game. It doesn't matter who will score the winning goal. It's just to be sure that uh, I pick the right team and uh, we can win. So Mitro, he needed to play. And I couldn't guarantee the way that we wanted to play. The, the if you know Mitro really well, if you attack and you create chances and then you make crosses, he will score goals. No doubt about that. He will score goals. But a team that has 40, 45, 35%, it depends on the game's possession, you have to defend, you have to work hard in defense, you have to play counter-attack sometimes. And if you don't have all these players that they can do that, then you have to sacrifice something. And we were talking about the main thing of this team is the team, the organization of the team and the, the work rate of the team. Because if we don't do that, we'll be exposed. As soon as we were winning against Manchester United, 1-0, against Chelsea, 1-0, we were a little bit open, we concede, and then when you are open, the second half in the FA Cup against uh, Chelsea. So when we concede the second goal, we were open because we have to attack. We couldn't manage, we couldn't control. So for us, the team is, uh, is the key and the characteristics of the players are crucial. And then we did what we expect that can be the best for both. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank you all for coming, for being Time subscribers. I hope you continue to do that. And uh, it's been a really, really enjoyable evening. Um, I would normally thank the panel, but I would like to hand over to George, who's going to say the final word. And thank you to Rafa. Yes. Um, when we first approached Rafa and people close to Rafa about doing tonight, we told him that there would be a, a fee uh, available to him, a fee which is small by most standards, but tiny by football standards. It's a measure of Rafa as a man that he asked us to make a donation to Newcastle's food bank. So, um, he's not telling the truth. He's not. He's not telling the truth. He said it's a small fee. It's a big fee for the. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, believe me, it's not. Anyway, but um, um, it makes me angry and it makes me ashamed that in this beautiful, wonderful city of ours that people are going hungry, but it makes me very proud indeed to be able to know that football has played a huge role in shining a light on the issue and also raising, raising funds. Um, going to the food bank has become part of the match day experience like buying a program like having a drink with your, with your mates. And at the end of it, you get a sense of contributing to something bigger than you. And if that's not what a club is about, um, it certainly is to me. 
it's not the first time Rafa has made this kind of gesture, and it's also not the first time that people at the club have made, the similar, have made similar gestures. And Lee Charnley, for example, the managing director, has volunteered at the food bank, and he's done that without publicity. So I would like to say that although sometimes there is tension between club, fans, media, journalists, we all share, um, I hope, a sense of humanity and care about the communities we work in and live in. And if you haven't checked out the work of the Food Bank, please do. But Rafa, thank you very much. That's an amazing question. Thank, thank you. you. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.